What is up, my friend? Welcome to the Anthony John Amix podcast. This is episode number number numero, numero ocho. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how my good friend and my client doubled his revenue while working less. I think you're going to get a lot of value from this episode because a lot of what Jody has to share is actually pretty counterintuitive. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Anthony John Amix podcast, helping entrepreneurs break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. Prepare to open your mind to the proven tactics and strategies the world's leading intellects have used to avoid a stagnant career and achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. It's time to increase your levels of power with your host, Anthony John Amex. All right, well, welcome back, man. Like, isn't that intro amazing? Man, I love the intro, I'm not gonna lie. Like, Tim Page and his team, they made it for me, and I believe they did, like, a fantastic job. Now, before I bring on today's guest, I want to let you know about the Shift community. Uh, myself and Jonathan Heston, you may remember him from episode number six. We created a community specifically for coaches and experts who want advice to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. So every Tuesday, we go live in that group, and we teach on a concept around marketing, around sales, and around the inner work that actually moves the needle. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, simply go to www.ajamyx.com slash community to join now. It's 100% free and will help you get even more feedback and ideas and support around the topics that we're going to be discussing for the rest of this episode. So again, simply go to www.ajamyx.com slash community to join now. All right, let's bring on today's guest. Jody Holland, what up, brother? What up? How you doing? <laughs> Dude, I'm doing awesome. I am um, having a good time here in, in Romania at the moment, recording on the floor. So you're probably going to hear my daughter in the other room cry. Um, at some point, it's going to happen. I think so. But yeah, dude, it's good, man. Life's good. It's been uh, a little crazy, a little crazy with all the travel and all that, but it's been amazing. What about you? How are you doing in Amarillo? Amarillo is fantastic. Uh, it's actually been really warm here, 60s and 70s, which is really odd for this time of year, yeah. although it gets down to about 35 at night. Yep. But it's, it's been nice. Made it a great Thanksgiving. Awesome. Um, Christmas season is upon us, so I'm I'm excited. You know what's crazy is it's actually been uh, apparently uh, to me it's cold here, but there's no snow. Like I'm looking at the mountain outside the window, and there's there's very little snow. And uh, my father-in-law is like, man, it's usually like packed um, with snow by now. So it's not only Amarillo that's warm; um, it's actually warm here too. It's just kind of interesting. Odd. Dude, can you believe that uh, we've been working together for two years now? We're going on two years now, my friend. I know. I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, I remember I remember the first time that I met you. Uh, it was through our friend John Fuller. And just thinking, okay, I got to get that guy to help me. <laughs> what was it about me that made you have that thought? Because you've been in this game of business and done very well for yourself. Uh, I think that it's the yin and yang thing. Mm. I've kind of got one side of things. Uh, one side of my brain really controlling a lot of what I do, and I needed the perspective from the other side. Yeah, awesome, man. How many books have you written now? Is it 15 or is it 16? Um, I have 17 published 17. Oh, Look at me. I'm like totally cutting you short here. 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a speech the other day, and I brought a copy of everything. I have a journal, a planner, and 17 books. and I, So I had 19 books spread out on this table, and I was talking about what it's like to be an author. And people were like, holy shit that's a lot of books yeah it is man. it is but you don't think about it i mean like 
you just think, oh, I, I have more to say. Yeah, dude, you're you're incredible. You're actually one of one of my favorite people on the planet, dude. Um, I love hanging out with you. I love working with you. I love being with you. You're just an amazing, dude. Um, I really admire just like how you raise your daughters. They're uh, they're amazing people, and I think it says a lot about a human being when their kids are awesome people. You know what I mean? I totally and um, before we hop into today's topic, we're gonna talk about like how you've doubled your revenue um, while pretty much working uh, less. Like you haven't really increased your workload to be able to increase the amount of money you're making which is really cool. And I don't even think you've like raised your prices necessarily. Maybe you have a little bit, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I don't think it's been like a strategy of like, oh, you want to double your revenue, raise your prices. Cause you know, some people do that. Well, so we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about like your journey uh, because dude, I feel like you're kind of this wizard that kind of flies under the radar. Um, unfortunately, because you're, dude, you add legitimately um, six million, seven million, eight million dollars uh, a year to um, companies, hospitals, banks, uh, dog food companies, you know, like, you know, legitimate kind of larger corporations. Uh, you go in there and help them reduce their turnover, help them increase their productivity. The employees love working there after you're done with them. And, and it's pretty crazy. But I want to talk about like, uh, for you, like how, like what's been your journey? Because um, uh, I know it hasn't just been straight, you know, like, hey, I became a coach, I became a consultant, and I speak everywhere. Like, what's been your journey a little bit? So it's interesting. When I started out in 1999, um, I thought, well, I just want to be, I just want to be a trainer and a speaker. That's all I want to do. And I, maybe 30 days in, was like, um, I'm probably going to need to do more than that in the beginning. And I, in my opinion, I started complicating things. Yeah, that's not really the way that you're supposed to go. But that's what I did. Is I, I didn't have enough faith in myself to just stick with the thing that I knew that I was going to be the best at. And I, I got certified to do personnel assessments. I got certified in other people's trainings. I got certified in all these other things. And then spent the majority of the first year doing team building, which I already knew how to do. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I, I think in the beginning of the journey, it was learning to have confidence in myself. And then as the journey kind of expanded and kept growing, it was more about okay, well, how do I refine who I am and what I do? And then it was, okay, well, how do I measure that so that other people actually understand I'm doing the thing that I said I was going to do and I'm getting you results? Because it's the getting results that keeps you coming back to organizations and keeps them writing bigger and bigger checks to you. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense, dude. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people fall into that trap of looking for the certification to give them the confidence, the certainty, Really, really, you know, rather than having that confidence and certainty in themselves to be able to go and produce those results. Results. So let me ask you another question. Like from your experience, why do you think more people um, aren't doubling their revenue while they're working less? I think honestly, it's because of the first thing that I did wrong, and that was in trying to complicate the process. So when you when you keep things complicated, what ends up happening is you you go in and you go, okay, I want to double my revenue but I'm already doing X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this. So I'll add more to it. And they, they work more or they add a new product or a new service line or a new whatever without just going, well, how do I just improve my craft instead of how do I add more stuff to what I'm doing? It's the stuff that makes it difficult. And that was a lesson for me is I found myself at one point, just a few years into business, I was building ropes courses, I was doing team building, I was doing leadership training, I was writing, I was, you know, speaking all the time, sometimes free, sometimes paid, I was uh, trying to sell assessments, 
I just kept adding and adding and adding. And then one day I actually had a guy go, Hey, what's your net on each of those things? And I went, uh, what's net? <laughs> I, I literally had never thought about profitability. I'd only thought about gross revenue because that's where our ego gets stroked is in the gross revenue. And I started evaluating that with his help, one of the early coaches that I had and realized I don't actually make money off of several of the things that I'm doing. And I immediately cut those out. I just stopped doing them all together. And then I started evaluating where I made the highest net profitability. And I started doing those more. And then I set a standard that says, if I can't make X in net profitability, whatever that percentage is for you, then I'm not going to do it. Uh -huh. And I started only doing the things that had the right net profitability. And what I found was I didn't actually at that point increase my gross revenue. Uh, I went down by $100,000 in gross revenue in that next 12 months, but I went up by 150000 in net revenue. And in the end, this is uh, according to my accountant, and it makes perfect sense, it's what you keep that matters, not what you generate. Yeah, dude, I, I totally, totally agree with you, man. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's almost like you kind of leveraged that Pareto's principle, right? Kind of that 80-20, where you just kind of objectively looked at what are the pieces that are making up, you know, the majority of your profits, and then you just focused on those and then kind of cut away um, all of the dead piece. But you mentioned something about your ego. Tell me more about the, the ego. Like, how did you kind of get that little guy in check? Um, because I'm sure even on day-to-day, -day, there's still a part of you that's like, I want to make more. Uh, I want to grow more. So how do you find that balance uh, between, you know, expansion, um, but see if it's yeah. coming from a, that deep soul place rather than just, you know, feeding the ego. I, I think that's a battle that I fight every day and every entrepreneur that I'm connected with, they fight the same battle. The ego piece of it says that I'm not enough unless I'm growing my gross revenue. I want to be able to tell people, oh, I do a million dollars a year, $5 million a year, or whatever it is. That's the number that you think will make you enough uh, when you're doing that number. And for me, learning to fight the ego was more about learning to manage the way that I set goals. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't set goals just based on that professional. And so I came up with this idea of a baseball diamond, that your professional goals, you know, your gross revenue, all that kind of stuff, that is home plate. But we can't jump up and down on home plate and score runs. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to make it to first base and second and third and then home. So first base for me is psychological goals. And that's your, your psyche, which means soul. So learning how to, to manage your soul, to manage your enlightenment, to manage your being, that has to come first. Second goal that you go to or second base is your physical goals. And this is your core power, kind of the thing, a lot of the things that you taught me about eating right, drinking enough water, getting the right exercise, those kinds of things. Don't ignore those things. And then third base is your personal goals. These are your relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, like maintaining a fulfillment or a reason for existence. And then you get into professional. I know that sounds counterintuitive, especially when we're talking about doubling your revenue without working harder. But the without working harder piece is rooted in setting goals in the right order. And so the, the psychology, the physical, the personal, then the professional. So I started setting goals. And this was actually four years into business. I set my first goal for vacation. 
and I had taken no vacation for four years. And I said, I, I'm going to take, take four weeks off. And so I took four weeks of vacation in year four and made more money. I'm like, holy crap, that's weird. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I want to do six weeks. And so I did six weeks of vacation and I hated it. <laughs> it was too much vacation for me. Yep. And so it's, it's learning the balance on each of those goals. But once, once I understood core power, which is one of the things that I learned from you through our coaching, I started going, okay, I'm getting the physical piece right now. And then I started setting the objectives. And this is really just within the last two years of us working together, going, I need to have personal relationship goals. And when I set all of those in the right order, then all of a sudden, I'm making more money, I'm working less. I mean, there's a lot of times I work four hours a day, I'll go do a three hour training, do an hour of paperwork or reporting on what we did. Then I go to the gym. I go work out for an hour, hour and a half. And I know you don't like those long workouts, but I love being on the treadmill for 45 minutes to an hour. So good. And so, but that's, that's me finding that balance by setting goals in the right order. So good, man. I'm, I'm glad that you brought this, uh, this up, uh, like this whole core power thing, but I'm curious, like, I know how I define it. Um, yeah. You know, we talked about core power being to me, it's kind of, kind of the same thing, soul, something, but how do you define uh, this idea of core, core power? How do you define it? And how have you found that it actually improves your ability to, to make money? Let's dive into a little bit of the science of it. Okay. So uh, as you know, I am very much a science guy, but the yep. spiritual side of existence is scientific as well. You have a subconscious, a preconscious, or kind of an intermediary, intermediary component of the brain, and then a conscious mind. So conscious mind is ego. This is the one that says, I'm in control. I am making this happen. And I think there's, there's some legitimacy in not being a victim and making things happen. Sure. But at a subconscious level, when you get your physical and your spiritual and your psychological well-being all going in the right direction, you're basically able to plant ideas from the conscious mind to the subconscious and then create a habit loop, which is in that pre-conscious portion of the mind, so that you automate your belief in your ability to succeed. The difference between somebody who's making you know, $50,000 a year as a trainer and a coach and somebody who's making $200,000 or somebody who's making $400,000 a year is really just what ideas we, we accept as our beliefs. The idea of a belief loop. You know, what you believe creates what you think. What you think creates what you do. What you do creates the results that you get. We keep going in and before you understand core power, you try to just change your actions. Yep. You scramble more and you work harder and you do more stuff and you take on more uh, BS that's out there. And then all of a sudden you go, shit, I'm just tired. Like I'm not getting the result I wanted. I'm just exhausted and doing more stuff. And that's when people try to scale up their business, it's controlling it. When you get to that core power, that subconscious beliefs being in alignment with truth. I don't need to work harder. I don't need to work smarter. I need to accept that I already am the worthy person that people want to do business with. And when you have that alignment of truth and that spiritual peace about you, people seek you out. Exactly. Like you're, not, you're not going out there beating down doors trying to get business. You already believe it and you already accept it as truth. And it's that acceptance piece that is the core power. And so you just live into that acceptance 
and it's a natural extension of you. Exactly. And, you know, for those listening, what I'm, cause I'm afraid they're going to say is like, oh, so this is more like the law of attraction. You know, you work on you and then more opportunities are going to come to you. That's not what I'm hearing you say. So I want to clarify that. You're saying if I cultivate my being and if I'm taking care of, you know, my, my soul, which, you know, I'll kind of define as for those who aren't like spiritual, uh, the belief in yourself, you have certainty in yourself to go out and create results. So it's, it's rather than being a victim to the life, you're being very proactive, right? You're being like, I'm the soul in control, you know, whatever feedback I'm having, uh, what can I learn about myself from this feedback? And then how can I increase my capacity for certainty to go create what I want, right? That's, that's base number one, right? And then we move into the body piece. And if we're eating good foods and we're hydrating our bodies and we're working out, and it's not about looking good, uh, that's a byproduct of it. And don't, don't get me wrong, I like to look good, right? I'm a very vain human being and I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, but on a frequency level, like we just look at law of vibration, when we um, are in high frequency, meaning our body's not in scarcity because if we're not hydrated, our body's in scarcity. If we're not eating good foods, our body's in scarcity. Um, so there's really, it's hard to, um, uh, to, to stand toe to toe with somebody who is hydrated and is lifting weights or whatever their exercise is, they're going to be higher frequency. You're going to have more confidence, more certainty. It's harder to close the deal when you're at the negotiating table. Um, if you're in scarcity, so that's why the body piece is important. And then yep. if you move over to the relationship piece, if we're carrying guilt and shame, because we're like, Oh, I should be spending more time with my wife or with my husband or my children or. I shouldn't have said that, or I should have said this, like we're carrying guilt and shame. That's impacting um, our frequency at a cellular level. So if you patch all these things up and you got first base, second base, third base, when you come, <clears throat> come into the game of business, it's not about now, you know, more opportunities just happen, which they do, but it really is about power where you're able to go out and do the thing, execute yeah. on the strategy, which you do. And as a result, you're able to produce more um, with less effort because you're creating from a very, very powerful place, right? Right. And I think of it like being a Zen warrior. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're a warrior, but you're so at peace that if today is the day that you die in battle, you're okay. You've got nothing left to prove. You don't need anybody else to go, oh my gosh, Jody, you're so amazing. You just, you are. And the law of attraction is actually scientific because there's a component of the brain called the reticular activating system. And uh, when you push an idea from conscious into subconscious mind, the reticular activating system takes over and says, okay, well, that's what we'll notice. So when your focus is on noticing the scarcity and the lack and the struggle, your reticular activating system and says, okay, well, that's what he wants in his life. So let's go find those struggles and those failures for him. But when you're in alignment and your core power is strong, what you're basically doing is taking the subconscious, which processes 400 billion bits per second of information, and you're allowing it to narrow in the right way so that you notice the opportunities that were already there. You're not attracting them. You're just noticing them at a conscious level because your conscious mind only processes 2,000 bits per second of information, 2,000 versus 400 billion. And when you're in the zone, you're actually only processing about 900 bits per second. So you're not expanding everything that you notice. You're actually learning to block out the things that you should have never noticed anyway and narrow in on the thing that makes the most sense and finding those opportunities. So when you're doubling your revenue, those opportunities were there. They were waiting for you. 
Yeah. They wanted you to notice them. Yeah, yeah. But you were focused on the wrong things. Yeah. One of the things I've recently learned uh, from a guy named James Wedmore, um, he runs a podcast called uh, Mind Your Business, I believe is mm-hmm. the name of his podcast. And Good one point. of the things um, he, he talked about is um, the thing that you want also wants you. Very simple statement, but it was a very profound, you know, to, to, to really embody that simple truth, to really understand the thing that I want also wants me. I've been studying a, a book called A Happy Pocket Full of Money. Uh, I forget the name of the author. Um, it is a deep, deep read down That's the cool. rabbit hole of money and quantum physics, um, but it's, it's really, really great book. But they talk about this idea, and I think this is fascinating. When we have an idea to take to marketplace, the reason we have the idea in the grand scheme of consciousness is because people are already asking for it. So therefore, we can create from a place of certainty, knowing the only reason that it has entered into our consciousness is in the grand scheme of consciousness, they're asking for it. Right. That's a fucking loop through to think about, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's this, this universal consciousness that exists. If you go back and read Ernest Holmes or Frank yeah. Robinson or Napoleon Hill or uh, W. Clement Stone or any of those early authors, 1800s, 1900s, they already understood this. So this is not a brand new concept. They already understood that if you just get into alignment with this universal consciousness, where you're not fighting against other people, you don't need somebody else to be wrong and you don't need to be right. You just do the thing that you were called to do. Those opportunities have been right in front of you. They have wanted you. And the idea had to come from somewhere. And when I write, for example, I feel like, you know, you get in, in the zone like yeah. an athlete, but that's that narrowing of consciousness or uh, in the flow, like Mihai Csikszentmihalyi describes it. I believe that's when you're in alignment with that subconscious awareness of what the universe always wanted you to do in the first place. So good, man. And I, I find in order for me to be in that place, it, it requires a lot of practice yeah. and, 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 um, you know, like you look at like football players or MMA fighters where they're like standing in the pocket and they're able to kind of be relaxed. It doesn't just happen. I don't think from a decision. I mean, the decision is the, the catalyst of being able to, to get that skill set, but it really comes from the practice, them hitting the bags, them doing the mat work, them sparring over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again, where they finally get to the big moment and they're in flow. Um, but it took a lot of dedication and practice. So with that being said, what is your practice um, that allows you to kind of get into this flow state? And I understand the flow state is not like all the time, but you're able to step in and, and out of it uh, when you want to. So uh, I think there are several things that go into that. One, like you said, the practice is very important. Um, there are only a few things I really have to do every single day to be successful. Number one, I have to learn something. And I start every day by learning something. I get up early enough and uh, typically, I actually listen to TED Talks or audiobooks or something as I'm stretching and getting ready for the day. And I love to stay flexible. I've done martial arts most of my life. And that flexibility, yoga poses or just stretching, whichever one you like, I think helps me kind of loosen up who I am while learning something new. Second thing that I think I've got to do every day is I've got to teach something to other people. And so I take things that I've learned and whether I'm getting paid or not, I try to invest in other people. You do that through podcasts or through videos or through sure. whatever. And the third thing I've got to do every day is I've got to build somebody. Uh, so I've got to be confident enough in what I taught 
that I know it has value and people want to pay for it. And so my, my rhythm is remembering that 20%, like going back to that Pareto principle, that is the most valuable thing that I can offer the world. And I, I have to have my routines to get into my rhythm, but also have to have more to offer today than I had yesterday so that I continue to, to grow and expand and, and invest in the people around me. And so some of it is rhythm, some of it is discipline. Uh, no matter how you look at it, it, it still comes back to that internal belief that I'm just here to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not here to prove that I'm the best at anything. And that's probably why I've flown under the radar a bit, and not out there telling everybody, you've got to listen to what I do. And if you don't sure. listen, you're a failure. Sure. You know? sure. But it's, it's the rhythm of learning, sharing, being confident in what I have to offer, and then continuing every single day to do that same thing. Awesome. Now for you, man, um, you talked about, you know, not having anything to prove. Has it always been that way for you? Were you created from a core place where you didn't feel like you had to prove yourself uh, to others? Now that's really the last couple of years. For those listening, um, I went to one of AJ's events. I was already a coaching client of his, but then I went to your your event, and I think you've changed the name of it since I went to it. I know, same uprising adventure. Yeah, upright. We decided oh. adventure, but yeah, still uprising. Okay, so still uprising, and dealt with a lot of the things that I was trying to prove to the world, and I needed people to validate that my training was great, and that you know everybody should be doing this, and I needed referrals. And when I started getting over that need for validation, and just said, I'm still gonna still going to measure what I'm doing because that is what shows that I'm providing value. And I think that demonstration of value is critically important for not just for the client, but for me to know that I'm on track doing what I'm supposed to do. But it definitely didn't used to be that way. I needed people to read my book in order to know that I was good enough. And now I'm like, I, I write the books because I needed to read those books. And I didn't find the book anywhere else, so I wrote it. And so I'm not proving it to anybody. I'm just, I'm just recording it, I guess would be the way to look at it. Because I want to know that I can go back and reference it if I ever forget. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, Episode 10, which hasn't even been released yet when this one drops, but I'll go ahead and kind of pre-frame episode 10 because I recorded it the other day. Uh, Julian Placino talked about this concept because uh, he had like flip trailer homes to make money. He had done network marketing to make money, corporate, you know, making six figure salary. And he finally got fed up to a point where he's like, you know what? Fuck making money. So I'm just going to create a podcast and I'm just going to do it because I want to do it. And as a result, over the past been three years now of him taking that idea and just constantly doing the podcast two or three times a week, whatever his schedule was, I don't know not even focus on downloads. I mean, he still marketed, don't get me wrong, he still did the actions, but it was really more about him showing up, delivering value and just doing what he wanted to do. He was able to finally uh, leave his corporate job, replace his six-figure salary, and he's, at, he's, way, he's making way more than six figures now, paid actor, sponsored podcaster, training all over the world. They increased his speaking uh, rate from, I don't remember what it was, 4000 or whatever, to $8,000 now. He has his own agent. They booked him for six places, uh, speaking engagement, just in the first quarter of next year already. You can do the math. You know, 8006 is pretty, pretty good. That's just in speaking. That's not even courting, uh, you know, personal branding and consulting. Anyway, so he's doing really well. But the whole thing comes back to what you said, where he used to be like, I got to go get money, right? 
meaning for my core frequency, I don't have. So therefore he would just create more opportunities to experience not having. And so for you, it's a little bit different. It was about money. It was about, you know, having something to prove. And so if we create from a place of, I have nothing to prove, nothing to defend, then we're able to create more of those opportunities where we don't have anything to defend or prove. And the game uh, becomes a lot more simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember that event, man, that was, um, that yeah. event that you came to was actually probably one of the most pivotal events that Jonathan and I led up to that point. Um, and I remember you hated me uh, by the end of like the evening of the first, the first thing. I think my words to you before you went to bed was. Kick your ass. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I knew you hated me. Uh, actually, I didn't know until after the event. But I remember my words to you that evening because we did this breathing exercise and you got up and then you went into the room and I felt led. And the event's weird. I like feel led to do like go and talk to people. And I really follow my, my intuition on that. It always serves me. And I think that's why the event's so powerful. But I remember walking up to you and we dialogued um, in one of the bedrooms of you talking about through the stuff and it was a problem you had from your clients. I remember me telling you, I was like, Jody, stop being a little bitch. I think that was what I sent you to bed with that, that evening. And yeah. then you journaled the next morning because I had asked everybody to journal. And then you kind of had your big kind of aha breakthrough um, kind of that morning, the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to expand on that just a little bit, you said, stop being a little bitch. If this client is not being authentic, get rid of them. Yeah. And that's so tough for entrepreneurs to accept the reality that sometimes you do need to get away from a client. Yep. And it's not always about adding the next one. Sometimes it's when a client prevents you from being who you're supposed to be, it serves you best to move on. Yeah. And yeah. by doing so, because you, you, I think eventually you did get rid of the client and you opened up space uh, for another one to step in that actually ended up paying you more money you're yeah. doing less, you're, like, you're not having to go. Yeah, exactly. It's less work. You're not having to go in and put in so much work with them and you're, you're really enjoying them. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm, I know exactly what I mean. But when you said that to me, I, I can tell you the, the emotion piece of it was this overwhelming fear because yep. they were my highest, uh, like highest ticket client that I had. Yep. So you think about that, that's the the biggest chunk of your revenue. And we're not, I'm not talking like a thousand dollars a month. I'm talking like 105,000 a year yep. for one client yep. and thinking I need to get rid of that client. And that was right. the truth. Yep. It's just that it's hard to let go of the fear. And so the other guy that you were talking about, uh, about not chasing the money, not chasing the approval to get over chasing money and chasing approval, you have to get over fear. Yeah. And to get over fear, you have to accept that whatever happens is okay. It's just okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, had to... I remember at that event, sorry to cut you off, but I, it's still about this fear. I remember another guy at the event, uh, he was on the verge of going through a divorce and he was really unpacking that. And uh, they didn't end up getting divorced, by the way. The event um, helped oh, patch everything up there. So they're still they're doing well. But I remember you telling him at the event, which was like, dude, whatever happens, you're going to be okay. And that for him was like a big moment where he could surrender to the potentiality if it was going to go down that path. And for him, I think he was able to really turn his whole marriage around. Now it took him being a different person and, you know, having new habits and things of that nature. Don't get me wrong. But I also think it was what you told him at the event was like, dude, you're going to be okay regardless of what happens. You don't have to fucking like fight for this. It's going to be what it's going to be. And um, this is amazing is funny, to me. Because that's what I needed to hear as well. Yep. So it's easy a lot of times for us to give advice to other people. It's harder for us to accept the same thing for ourselves. 
Yeah. Uh, but, but that's that peace that you seek out that I'm good. It's all right. Don't have any problems. It's going to be fine. And so dude, how have you learned to silence the inner critic part of you? Cause dude, you're a high achiever, you're a producer. And so I know for me, uh, there's a part of me that's always like, you're not doing good enough. You need to go, 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 go. I know you have that. Every producer does. So how have you learned how to keep that part of you in check um, and not to ignore because to ignore is just going to get like louder, but really to bring some love and some healing to it. So you really can operate from this place of courage rather than this defensive position of fear. So fear and anxiety to me are when we're living either in the future or in the past. And the thing that, it, that I have to do every day, because you never learn to get rid of those demons, you just learn to live above the demons. Right. So every single day I have to just focus on what's my role today? What is it that I'm supposed to do today? And I make sure I've got a good schedule of things that I'm going to do and I keep a rhythm of, of when I work and when I create and, and that kind of stuff. And to me, being in the present moment is the only way to get past that fear and anxiety. Because when I think about even next year, for example, because every December I start evaluating where am I, where am I going, all that kind of stuff. And then January, like, oh my God, how am I going to get this done? And yeah, and then you get to the end of the year and you're like, shit, I crushed that. <laughs> that was, <laughs> but so you, if you live right now and you just do what you're supposed to do right now, you get past the fear and the anxiety. But if you live in the future, oh my God, how am I going to make that happen? Or you live in the past, holy shit, I screwed that up. Right. You're no good. You have no core power. You have you only have core power in this moment, right now. When you live fully where you're at, without fear of what might be your anxiety about what has been, that's when you have your power. And to be clear, like Jody's not saying, you know, surrender, be in the present moment, because you know, dude, I know so many people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. It's finding that center place where you have the plan, you have your targets, um, but you're not tied to like, fuck, what if they don't work out? Or you're not tied to, oh, I'm going to be a failure if I don't reach them. You know, it's like, this is a target. This is the strategy. And here's the things that are required to do it. And I'm going to, and then I'm going to focus every day and I'm going to do those things. I'm going to course correct as they go up. And that's about all you can, you can do. And I think, um, that's surrender. You know, I think that's probably the only way to live from a place of surrender. And I, I simplify my goal setting. So I know what revenue I want to generate and I know how I generate revenue, but basically all I do is I have a Mason jar full of marbles. And let's say I wanted to generate like this year, I said, okay, I really want to generate $300,000 for the year. Uh, I feel like it's a great success. If I did $300,000. So I have 150 marbles in a jar. And every time I do a day of training or coaching, which is a big part of what my purpose is, whether that's online or in person, I move a marble. So as long as I move 150 marbles, I was going to be good. I was actually going to exceed the 300,000. Well, I far exceeded the 300,000 this year. I'm right at 400,000 for the year. I didn't stress about it either. So I just moved the marbles. That's it. So let me ask you a question. I want to go deeper in this concept of having nothing to prove, nothing to defend, because it's one thing to be very cerebral about it and be like, okay, I just need to make a decision. I have nothing to prove, nothing to defend. All right. I just need to live in the present moment. All right. But I don't think that's been your journey um, completely because you're definitely a person who lives in your head. I think my, my job primarily 
um, as your coach is getting you out of your head and into your heart. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a challenge for me uh, to be able to do that, but we've been able to do that pretty, pretty darn well. So what, if you don't mind sharing, what has been some of the deeper stuff you like that triggered or that had created that need to prove? And then how have you, how have you really overcome it besides just making a decision to not have nothing to prove or defend? Yeah. Well, it's not a simple decision. That's for sure. But growing up as a kid, uh, I wrote a, I wrote a blog about 10 years ago called life in the fishbowl. And it was about growing up with a father who was in the spotlight all the time. And so there's always people watching you, uh, trying to evaluate how much you're going to screw up in life and telling you you're going to screw up in life. And so my dad's a, a minister and everybody has a concept of what a preacher's kid is like. And I'm a middle child and a preacher's kid. And so that conjures up these images of, oh, always attention seeking, always screwing stuff up, always needs to be bailed out. And if you buy into the image that other people give you, then you're proving them right. If you tell them that they're wrong, then you're trying to prove them wrong. And it wasn't until much later in life where I, I thought, you, you only get in the fishbowl if you want to. I mean, you're not a fish. So if you put yourself in that spotlight where you're trying to get other people to tell you, oh, you're amazing or whatever, then your whole life sucks because you're always just trying to prove that you're okay. To get out of my head and into my heart, kind of the way that you described it, it was this battle between who am I doing this for? Mm -hmm. And when you get away from, I'm doing this for my wife, I'm doing this for my kids, I'm doing this for, you know, these corporations that I serve, I, I'm doing this for entrepreneurs. I'm doing this for sale. Get out of that shit. You so got to get back to, I'm doing this for one reason and one reason only. This is who I am. So if nobody ever paid me for this, it's still what I have to do because it's still who I am. Dude, it's amazing. I actually, there's a piece, a person uh, in the entrepreneurial space and I, I see people, uh, they post these pictures of their family, right? Thanksgiving. And they're like, the reason I do everything I do is for these people. Yeah, and, sure. and, and there's some validity to that, right? Um, it's okay. definitely kind of the driver of the ego, okay? But well, I, I also know um, some of these people, they get, they get capped out. Um, like they hit a, a ceiling, so to speak, and they cap out because everything they're creating uh, is really creating from a, a need to prove, a need to defend. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why for those people, they are experiencing, they won't, they won't let you tell this. They won't, they won't show you this. They'll, they'll post their pictures of their fancy cars and their big houses. And I have no problem with fancy cars or big houses. Like whatever you're called to, please go get all of that. But yeah. if we're talking about living a life of freedom, you can have whatever the fuck you want to have, but feeling free. Uh, yeah. You got to do it as a, like, I create this because it's an overflow of what I want to experience. It's not for my wife. It's not for my children. It's just, what I want to fucking do. And I, I want to, I want to clarify one thing on there. When you, when we talk about it's just for me. It's one of the hardest things for me to get over was trying to tell my wife and my kids, I do everything I do for you, Yep. which was total bullshit. And it is for anybody else that says that, uh, that is your ego talking that says, I need you wife. I need you children to validate my awesomeness. And then we're also saying we need other people out there to go, oh, look at him. He works so hard for his family. And you're like, no, I, I really don't. I mean, and I, 
I love my family. I love them dearly. And I, I believe in them and I believe in their potential. But that's not why you, you can't create from a place of purity if you're doing it for other people. So good. You so create good. because you create. We were created to create. Like that is the reason for existence is to, to live into some talent or some gift that, that you haven't cultivated and develop it and, and demonstrate it. Not so that other people tell you it was great, but so that you live into all of those talents that were given to you. So good, man. If you look at the greats in art, man, um, that's it. Like if you look at Van Gogh, Van Gogh painted because he wanted to paint the way he wanted to paint. Even like I was in Dallas, uh, Sarah and I went, did Sarah go with me? Yeah, I think Sarah, my wife, went with me. We went to um, an exhibit for Monet. Now, Monet, if you guys don't know art, I'm an art student, so like I know art. So they, um, Monet, you know, he was the father of Impressionism, right? You know, the little dabbles of color that oh, when you're staying away from it, you, you can see the picture, but up close, it just looks like a bunch of dots, right? Yeah. And smears of paint. Anyway, it took him seven years to find his style. And up to that point, he was doing the traditional still life paintings, which by the way, were very, very good technically. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Um, but that was what people would pay money for. And he would do that so he could pay bills. And eventually though, it took him seven years where he's like, oh, I wonder what this is. And then that opened up a whole new thing. But I guess here's the whole point of that. Monet wasn't like, oh, let me figure out a new style. So I sell more art. It was literally like, Okay, I've been doing this stuff and I'm bored. What if I tried it this way? Ooh, that was fun, right? And then that was a whole movement was birthed uh, from that expression or Van Gogh's uh, yeah. you know, Starry Night and his style, so to speak, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Artists, music, same way, right? The greats, you know, I think uh, Mac Macklemore has a rap lyric. I forgot the name of the song, but it's pretty much the greats were great, not because they could paint or write. They were just, you know, they were great. Because, great because they were great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But when we live into our, our true self or our authentic self or whatever word you want to use there, your greatness was already there. Yep. You just, you just needed to give up other people validating it. And, and, and here's what I think. The reason that it's noticed when you're not trying to prove it is because all of a sudden people are like, oh my God, whatever he has, whatever she has, I want that. Yeah. We so all good. seek peace. That's, I think that's the state that everybody would like to be in, but we live in our heads. We live in our conscious awareness and we give up the idea that, you know, I don't, I don't have to have that. I just have to be me. It's all I got to be. Exactly. And I talked about this on episode number five about my, my first experience on psilocybin mushrooms and my big message, my big lesson was like, you know, go tell the world. And for me too, to remember who I am, and if I remember that and I create from that place, which is like, I am God in flesh, God's here having unique experience through me as Anthony John Amix, just the same as God's having unique experience through Jody Holland here, right? Um, but at the core, we're, we're, we're the same. But if I can remember that and create from that place, man, magic is possible. Anything is possible. We can make any amount of money that we want to make with um, really as, as little or as much effort um that we want to put yeah. into that and there is effort and this is Absolutely. you know when we talk about we're all working less i i honestly i don't just work 20 or 30 hours a week i work a lot of hours but it never feels like work yep. that creative process feels like being in true existence and so i, I always kind of caution people you know the hustle and the grind i don't i don't believe that it's a discipline process 
I believe it is a process of being okay with being you and you can't help but do that because that's who you are. Yeah. You talked about earlier, like you tried a six week, um, you know, six weeks of vacation and that wasn't for you. I know, um, there's people in my life. They're like, Oh, I'm taking off. I don't remember how many days next year. Like their target was something God awful, like 180 days off next year or some shit like that. It's crazy. I couldn't do it. Um, I don't want to. Yeah. I wouldn't want to either, either. Um, you know, like my wife and I were traveling around Europe right now and there's a part of me that I could uh, not work at all. I'd be so fucking bored. I don't know what I would do. Like, what am I going to read books all the time? Like go drink coffees, go eat. Like, I don't know. Like, it comes back to me like wanting to create. I mean, one of the hardest things I had to do during my 10 day silent meditation retreat, uh, but it was an imposter retreat over in Kaufman, Texas, is I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I couldn't create. And that was probably the most difficult thing. It wasn't the speaking, it wasn't the, you know, the not speaking or the isolation. It was the not being able to generate any creative uh, anything. Yeah. It was hard for me, man. really hard. I agree. And I mean, I do have, I have goals this next year. One of them is to do what I would call working vacations. And to yeah. me, it's kind of like what you're doing. You're traveling, you're seeing cool stuff, but you work every day. Yep. So you yep. still work, but you have time to do other stuff. And so that's part of my, my goal set for this next year is to be able to work and travel and have fun all at the same time. But I don't want to do it all the time. I honestly, that would drive me nuts to not have a home base because at my core, I'm kind of a homebody. I really do like being home love my house, love where I live, love nature, love all of that piece of it. So yeah, I, I think your goals have to fit you. Yeah. And when somebody says, I'm taking 180 80 days off, my first thought is, are you doing that because that's who you are? Or are you doing that because you're trying to show everybody what a badass you are that you took 180 days off and screw the whole world, you don't need anything. And I mean, I, that's my first thought is, where are you coming from? What place are you coming from when you say you're doing that? So good, man. I don't need, if I take six months off, I really don't need to tell you I'm taking six months off. And if I need to tell you, then I'm trying to prove something. Yeah, it's good, man. What have you found to be um, some common pitfalls when it comes to like doubling people's revenue? Like, especially if they're not wanting to exert, uh, you know, the hustle, the grind, they're still going to be able to, you know, work if they're not, you know, grinding away. So I'm, I'm going to come up with a couple of them here for you. Awesome. One is how you define revenue. And I know that may sound a little bit strange, but uh, if you're defining revenue as gross revenue and not net revenue, then doubling your gross revenue, you're going to be freaking exhausted. And if that's your only objective is to double how much you bill out, then you're not necessarily going in the right direction. That's my opinion. If you're doubling what you keep, and doubling that net revenue, ultimately that's what's going to matter to you because that's that's your income, that's your revenue, that's your livelihood. So I think that's number one is you've got to focus on the right way of doing it. So you're not just trying to bill more, but you're trying to keep more of what you bill. And then the second thing I would say is pitfall for doubling revenue is thinking, um, I, I've got to partner more, I've got to expand more, I've got to do more. And so it's it's up here and that conscious awareness thinking, how can I control it? And you talked about at the uprising, you know, life happens as you, life happens to you, life happens by you, life happens through you. And, and I would, I'm going to propose that there's a fifth one out there mm. that is life happens for you. And you get to a certain level of comfortable with yourself 
where all of a sudden people are seeking you out and you're not having to work at it and you're not having to struggle and you're not having to push or promote. It's you've been so authentically you that people want to be around you. And that's, you know, when you and I started working together, you worked so hard to have a game plan for me. Yep. I, I have a game plan. Yeah. I've always had a game plan. And, and one day you go, what do you need from me? What do you want from me? How do you want to get this done? You're like, like intense energy, get it all done. And I went, dude, I, I want to hang out with you. Yep. And you're like, but what am I providing for you? I'm like, peace. Like you just have this right energy that I, I would pay to be around. And I just want to hang out. And that day we like went to a park and we did yoga and we meditated and we were just existing. And that's exactly what I needed. And a lot of times high achievers, I don't need another plan. And that's the thing that I think is the biggest pitfall is we, we look for the next plan or the next model or the next fad instead of stepping back and figuring out how to just be at peace. Dude, it's good. And that's been actually one of the biggest lessons any human has given me because it gave me the opportunity to actually see my genius because I mm-hmm. like, you know, when you talk about like, uh, you know, you, you'd pay just to be with me, what you do. And it, it's made you a lot of money and it, it will continue to do so. And I think some people listening to this be like, so I can just go pay somebody to be with them. That's, dude, I put in so much fucking work every day to like to cultivate the space yep. that people can step into that radically changes their lives. But nobody sees uh, how much work has been put into that genius to, to allow that to happen. And so when you told me that, it was kind of like this aha moment for me that was like, oh, that's my genius. Like I, I have a zone of excellence that's in marketing and strategy and systems. Don't get me wrong, but my genius is that. And that was, dude, thank you. Cause that was such a gift that you gave me. Um, it really was it's huge. man. And to reiterate what you just said, I think that's critically important for anybody that is a creator. You did put in the work. Yeah. You became the person that I needed to pay to be around. Yeah. And you know, you would have hung out with me whether I paid you or not. And I'm not saying that you give away your service. Sure. I, I think you and I have a great connection, but I also, as a creator, I, I get paid because I've done 20 years of reading, studying, writing, preparing, so that I could go in and give a one-hour speech yep. and explain the neuroscience of success. Yep. And you have spent all these years becoming the, the right energy so that people needed to be around you, yep. even though you weren't proving that, yep. that's who you were supposed to become. So when you become that, it's worth money. Exactly. Like I, I'm, money. I'm finding, like, I'm on this journey of, like, if I can identify an insecurity I have, I want to run into that motherfucker as deep and as fast as humanly possible. Because if I can find the gift in that insecurity, I'm able to extract it. And then I'm, old, I'm able to hold space, <laughs> the being piece, that somebody else can step into to then heal their insecurity um, legitimately with, within about 35 minutes. <laughs> it seems to, to, to take about that amount of time. And as a result, their life is able to go. Um, and that's a, for me, just a, it's a lifelong process of just cultivating yeah. the genius, just like you, you're on a lifelong process of always studying, always growing, always looking at the science of 
of the spirituality stuff. So you can, you can, you know, have facts and data and use your amazing brain to be able like, Hey, here's how this stuff works. And that's a lifelong expansive journey for you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But it's also, it's a lifelong quest to understand. Yes. It's not just about explaining it, but I think my genius is in simplifying complicated things. Yeah. And I think there is a, a complication to understanding the mind and spirituality and, totally. and how our psychology actually works. But when I can explain it in such a way that anybody can get it, that's genius. And uh, there's an Albert Einstein quote that I posted not too long ago that was, um, if you can't explain it in such a way that a six-year-old can understand it, then you don't understand it. And if, you know, when I do business coaching, I have a number of entrepreneurs that I work with that they'll go, well, it's really difficult to explain what I do. So, and, and that's why people aren't getting how brilliant I am. <laughs> and the first thing I say is, you're not brilliant until you can explain it in such a simplistic way that everybody can get it. So good, man. And it's, you- I know it's an end in the face statement, but that's the truth is you have to simplify what do you think is actually possible um, if somebody's listening to your advice and they take it and they actually implement it into their life and business? What do you feel is possible for them? Uh, well, I'll give you a few examples of things that I've accomplished. When uh, I worked with an emergency department, just the emergency department in a hospital in Florida, and in six months of getting people to approach one another differently, teaching relationship skills, uh, that's it we increased their net revenue by $1.6 million in six so months. It's amazing. A hospital in, uh, here in Amarillo, I increased their net revenue by $17 million in one year. Yeah. Uh, I've worked with you know, multiple dog food companies, boat manufacturers. I've worked with retail operations. I've worked with food service, including fast food. Anything is possible if you build the right skill set that would predict that outcome. And I worked with a fast food company and they said, well, it's impossible to eliminate turnover. Our average turnover is 600%. <laughs> Shit, that's <laughs> like, crazy. Holy crap. That means for yeah. people you hire 60, like yeah. 60 a year for 10 positions. And I said, well, if you will follow what I'm teaching, we can get your turnover down to 20% or less in the first year. And they go, no, you can't. I said, if you do what I'm saying, we can, I promise you. And they were launching a new restaurant and they said, okay, we're going to give you, you hire, you train, you do everything we want to see. And, and if you don't get it done, we want our money back. I said, okay. So in the first year of, with this restaurant, this is fried chicken. Okay. Fast food, fried chicken. In the first year, we cut their turnover from their average of 600% for a new opening down to we hired 19 people for 18 positions and 18 of the 19 people were still there at the end of the year. And had they let me just hire 18, we would have had the 18 that I knew would still be there. But we hired <laughs> because we got rid of that guy about 45 days in sure. and the rest of them were still there at the end of the year. And then three years later, 18 of those 18 were still there. So whatever is possible is what you believe is possible and what you're willing to follow the right systematic approach to create a predictable outcome. So there's a science behind everything that we do. 
Now on the flip side, dude, what do you feel is like at stake? Um, like what's it going to cost somebody if they believe that they just have to continue grinding and grinding and grinding in order to increase their profits? There is a difference between success and fulfillment. You will give up fulfillment if it's always just about the hustle and the grind. Um, you need both. You want success, which is the financial security and the growth and the opportunity. But even more importantly, you need the fulfillment, which is setting goals in the right order. So my purpose in life is to help people find their potential so that they live a fulfilled life. That's it. And I do that through leadership training, through writing books, through online learning. And we've got some amazing stuff in psycheofsuccess.com, which is my e-learning platform. So the, an individual can go learn it. And I was pretty restricted to big corporations for a while there. And I started thinking, God, there's so many other people that as an entrepreneur, they want to learn it, but they're not going to pay me because they can't get past the idea that $30,000 for coaching is too much money for coaching. Sure. So now what is psyche? You mentioned psyche of success. What is that all about? I know it's an online program, but like, what is it all about? So psyche actually means soul. And if you look for the soul of success, there is a set of skills that are required for you to be successful in anything that you do. When you master these skills and they are human skills, then you can do anything you want to do. It really does not matter what industry you're in. I worked in every industry out there and help people find success in every industry. So it is about helping people find their potential. And I, I've got courses on how to approach and read anybody in 10 seconds or less. I've got courses on leadership. I've got courses on uh, sales and customer service. Whatever they're looking for, it's still a human skill because 90% plus of what determines whether you succeed or not is your human skills. Uh, less than 10% is your systems or technology skills. So you can have all the greatest technology in the world if you're still a prick people are eventually not going to want to do business with you. Exactly. So guys, if you want to learn more about Psyche of Success, just go to, it's real simple, just go to psycheofsuccess.com. You can learn all about that. Now, Jody, my last question for you um, is an interesting question. If you're going to die immediately ending this interview, which I hope you don't, (laughs) what parting advice would you want to leave here for humanity to hear? So kind of a combination of of something from Abraham Maslow, who is the father of motivational theory and Albert Einstein. Uh, Everybody has genius inside of them. When you give up the need to prove that you're a genius and you simply seek every day to live into your full potential, you will both amaze yourself and change the world. But you've got to accept that you are a genius at some level and seek ways to always demonstrate that authentic self. Brilliant, man. Well, my friends, there you have it, Mr. Jody Holland. I told you he's going to be fucking amazing. told you he's going to blow your mind. So make sure you head on over to his website, jodyholland.com. You can learn all about him there. Uh, Make sure you go to psycheofsuccess.com. Check out his program called Psyche of Success. It's really good. I really actually highly, highly recommend you guys actually go buy it. Um, also, if you want one of his 17 books, or maybe you want all of them, go to Amazon uh, the, the, to go to his direct page. It's just amazon.com slash author slash Jody Holland and go buy all of them. Um, back in Texas, I have all of his books. They're really great. Um, they're really, really great. And they're very practical. They'll like really take your uh, life and business to your level. So go get his books. So, dude, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, just you as a human, man. You're fucking amazing. 
Thank you, sir. I appreciate being around you as well. Well, there you have it, my friend. That was episode number eight, uh, where we brought on the guest, which was Jody Holland. And I hope you enjoyed it. He shared a lot of information, um, stuff that I love about being and how that stuff really moves the needle and how it's really counterintuitive. But I found time and time again, like this is the stuff that actually moves the needle for a lot of high producers. I mean, for Jody, it's uh, it's made a very, very big difference in his life. Um, I mean, he's like living his ideal day now uh, because of this pretty much. I mean, he, he likes one thing. He wants to put a pool in the backyard. But outside of that, man, like he, he's living his ideal life and he just is constantly getting better and better and better and better uh, every single year. And um, as he told you guys, like he's just making more and more profit. So I hope you really enjoyed uh, that episode. Now, the biggest bummer about this podcast is sometimes we get into these big conversations or these interesting talks, but I have to cut them somewhat a little bit short because if I took the time to explore the topics all of the way, I mean, we'd be here for three or four hours. And I know this because like when Jody and I spend time together in person, man, we'll spend like four or eight hours like dialoguing and diving deep in these concepts. So I decided to create a nice free webinar training to teach you the four exact steps that I use to guide Jody to doubling his revenue while working less. And if you want in on this, simply head on over to ajamex.com slash training and grab a spot. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to leave this particular training up, so make sure you go to www.ajamyx.com slash training and sign up for that today. Well, that's all I have for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. And until next time, my friend, I'm out. Peace. That's all for this episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. But we have plenty more to help you achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. Head on over to ajamix.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. We look forward to having you back for the next episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. Bye for now.